0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of Hebrews chapter 12. This chapter follows... That long list of heroes in chapter 11, in fact, it points back to chapter 11, that that chapter that gives us the hall of fame of faith. The writer of Hebrews has listed those heroes for one reason, and that is he's using those heroes and their faith and their example and their legacy to convince his hearers to stand firm in their Christian faith. They're thinking about abandoning Christianity and abandoning Christian faith. And so he's saying, look... These folks in this Hall of Fame, they held on to a faith, even though they didn't see everything that uh, was promised to them. It would come much later. But he said, they're looking upon you now, and they are urging you to finish the race. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In Luke chapter 9, the gospel of Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58, Luke tells us about a man who came up to Jesus and he made this statement. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response to him was, he says, before you make that kind of commitment, you need to realize that foxes have holes to live in, birds have nests to live in, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, Jesus was telling this man, who was big on words, that if he followed through on the commitment to follow Jesus wherever he went, there would be times when there would be no place to lay his head. There would be struggles, there would be hardships, there would be trials the christian life would be a time some at times a place where there is no place to sleep there will be difficulty and there will be discouraging times i think one of the biggest wake up calls for new christians is that day which comes not long after they make a commitment to christ that day when when all of their Their uh, high ideas about what the Christian life will be like are shattered by crisis. So many people in the New Testament especially uh, received Christ and they expected that Christian faith would be a certain way. You wouldn't get as sick if you're a Christian. You wouldn't come close to losing a job if you're a Christian. You wouldn't have persecution if you're a Christian. They thought And they thought that until disease came or a job was taken away or persecution was endured. And then they realized the hard truth that Christian faith, even more so than the lack thereof, is a faith, a journey of life that includes potholes and and, uh, steep curves and insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable hills and dangers. Yes, there are joys, and the joys make everything else worthwhile, but there are struggles to be experienced in the Christian life. Someone has said that the Christian life is not a sprint, a 40-yard sprint in which the runner bursts out for a few seconds and then collapses at the finish line, but rather it is a grueling distance race, a marathon of 26 miles. In a marathon, endurance is the critical factor. You have to pace yourself. You don't want to start out at full throttle at a marathon or you'll give out in just a few miles. And so you have to pace yourself so that perseverance and endurance become what is characteristic of your race. And like a marathon, the Christian life is a race in which every ounce of energy, every act of training and every detail engages us until we stand perfect in the presence of our Lord. The race that is the Christian life is long and it is hard. And to finish that race, even in spite of all the struggles, is the most rewarding accomplishment that you and I will ever experience. And it can only be experienced by the grace of God, but but also not by necessarily the work that we do, but by our willingness to be moved upon by the grace of God and the power of God through His Holy Spirit. Here in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews likens the Christian life to a marathon. And since Christian faith is so much like a marathon, and since so many of his readers were thinking about quitting the race and giving up, he offers some help to them and to us, some tips on finishing the race. I don't know... How many people in this room have at times been tempted to quit the race? And the writer of Hebrews is saying to his readers and to us never, ever, ever quit the race. Yes, the night sometimes is is thick, dark. Yes, the storms sometimes are overwhelming. Yes, the road is so full of potholes that it breaks your tires. But keep on keeping on. Always persevering. I want to share with you four tips that are inherent in verses 1 through 3 that the writer of Hebrews gives us to help us finish the race. The first tip he gives us is this. We need to consider the heroes who have gone before us. We need to consider the heroes who have gone before us. Back in 1988, the Christian singer Steve Green came out with a song, which Skip Seagraves, I think, is going to sing in the next service. Is that right, Skipper? It's a song entitled, May All Who Come Behind Us Find Us Faithful. It's a great song. It is a great song. The words go like this. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. May the footprints that we leave lead them to believe. And the lives we live inspire them to obey. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. Well, the writer of Hebrews takes that concept of those who come behind us find us faithful except he turns it around which by the way steve green also does in the first verse of that song the writer of hebrews turns it around he says may all those who came before us find us faithful i don't know how many of you have ever run in a marathon race uh, about uh, five to eight miles on a good day is about all I can run. So 26 miles is absolutely out of the question. God never called me to do that unless I'm walking it. But I watch sometimes the Peachtree Road Race or uh, the Boston Marathon especially, those 26-mile those endurance races. And one thing I have noticed outside of the fact that the racers pace themselves is that throughout the race, there are people lining the sides of the track, lining the sides of the road, and they are there offering water, and they're offering encouragement, and they're cheering these people on. They're not out there to find fault. It's not like they're out there saying, oh, you're running wrong. Your feet are hitting the wrong way on the path. Come on, what's wrong with you? They're not doing that. They're cheering them on. The racers aren't going to run perfectly, but that's not what the people on the side of the road are there to do. They are there to encourage, to cheer, to help the racers finish the race. The writer of Hebrews looks back in verse 1 to all that list of heroes that that are listed in chapter 11, that hall of fame of faith, and he says that they are witnesses to us, witnesses of our running this marathon race called the Christian life. He says, therefore, which is a very important word in this verse because it points back to everything that he said in chapter 11 and all those heroes. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the witnesses? All those folks in chapter 11. Then let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. So he says, since we are compassed about, surrounded about by this great crowd of hall of famers lining the road, let us throw off and let us run. Can you imagine all the people that lie in the streets watching you and me as we try to finish this race that is the Christian life? I said last week that chapter 11 is the original, it's a list of the original inductees into the Hall of Fame of Faith. Those who came from the Old Testament. People like Abraham and Noah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and Abel and Enoch and Gideon and Samson and Jephthah and Sarah and Rahab and then uh, an innumerable group of people who are not named. All of those are the original inductees to this Hall of Fame. Now, we can certainly uh, assume, and I think justifiably, uh, justifiably assume, that there are heroes in the old, in the New Testament that could be added to that. Don't you know that Simon Peter and his brother Andrew would be added to that? Don't you know that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, would be added to that? Don't you know that Paul would be added to that, and Silas, and Barnabas, and Aquila, and Priscilla, and Apollos, and Phoebe, and Mary Magdalene, and Mary and Joseph? So many of the heroes in the New Testament would be incorporated into this Hall of Fame. And so there are the original inductees, then there are the New Testament inductees, and then there are uh, those who, since the New Testament, have been heroes of the Christian faith, many of whom you and I would not even recognize their names. And some you would. Martin Luther, the great uh, igniter of the Protestant Reformation, in April of, of 1517, our Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, nearsighted preacher who preached in a monotone, was the, was the president of Princeton University. And he preached in such a way, even though he would preach an hour and a half in monotone, holding the manuscript, which he preached from close up to his eyes, the, they, they tell us, historians tell us, that before he would get through with that hour and a half sermon, people were flooding the altar to receive Christ. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, the great leaders of the Methodist movement, Isaac Backus, and, and John Leland, who are among the early Baptists in America who fought for the separation of church and state and religious liberty in America. They would be in that Hall of Fame. William Wilberforce in England, who, who fought to abolish slavery, Charles Finney, in the 1800s, who was that great leader of a revivalist movement that opened up the Second Great Awakening and introduced into uh, Christian uh, terminology the idea of an altar call. They'd never heard of it before Charles Finney introduced it in the 1800s. And then, what about the heroes that would be lining the road maybe from the history of this church? Our first pastor, George W. Colquitt. People like Mr. Ned Hopkins, whom I never met, or Broadus Bradley, a great man in this community who, again, I never met. Or Slim Grubbs, even though I met his wife Margaret, or Margaret Kearns, or Frank and Vera Smith, or Miss Pauline Jones, or Miss Rachel Murphy, or uh, Mr. H.G. And, and Margaret Alford, or Jack and Audrey Bentley, or Sarah Pounds, or Austin Massey, or Homer and Martha Youngblood, or Etta Taylor, and J.T. Joyner, and Martha Allen, and Jack Jake Cordle and Elizabeth Lambert, and Harriet Watson, and Bernice Payne, and joe barfield all lining the streets as we're making our way in this journey called the christian faith and what are they doing they're cheering us on they want us to make it they want us to finish they want us to glorify god by crossing the finish line you want a tip for finishing the race picture in your mind the people both in Old Testament, New Testament, Christian history, and in your own life, who have gone on to be with the Lord and they are lining the side of the road and they have flags in hand cheering you down the road of the Christian life. How can we not keep going? Second tip, if you want to finish the race, throw away the unnecessary weight that you are carrying. If you're a runner... You want to run as lightweighted as you possibly can. You will hardly ever see, in fact, I've never seen someone running a marathon in long pants or in a full sweatshirt hoodie. They don't do it even in cold weather. Why? Because it's too heavy. You've got, you've got to wear the lightest shoes and the lightest socks, and you've got to wear shorts that, that uh, are the lightest weight, and you've got to wear uh, some sort of tank top shirt that is of lightweight material. You do not want to be weighted down even by the simplest garment that, that would add even the, the, uh, the slightest ounce of weight to you. And the writer of Hebrews says this, he says, when you're running a marathon, you have to throw away any, any unnecessary weight that would weight you down and keep you from finishing the race. And in saying that, he was well aware of of the strife and the struggle that all of us face in life. I'll tell you, there's not a person who walked in this room today, regardless of age, who doesn't have some kind of baggage that we're carrying around. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, when you consider all the people that are lining the road, cheering you on, put off, throw off. I mean, it's not just a lay it to the side kind of terminology. It is literally throw it away. Throw away those things that would hinder you, including some things that you really don't want to do away with. Oh, man, I told you last week or week before or something, I've been cleaning up a storage area in our attic. And there are some things I hated to throw away. I had my first grade report card in there. I did. You know what I did with that? I threw it away. I did. It was an A. <laughs> it was an A. I threw it away. You know why I threw it away? And I know it, but some people look at me, they're going, oh, I can't believe you threw that away. <laughs> Hadn't looked at it in 10 years. I threw away some old letters, some old poems that I wrote as a freshman in high school that I just thought someday they're going to be popular. They're going to make me all kinds of money. Guess what? They ain't made me no money. Throw them away. But it's so hard to throw things away that you think are necessary, but they're really not necessary. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throw away the unnecessary weight if you want to finish the race. Number three. Remember the necessity of perseverance. Perseverance. King James says patience, but it's more than patience, it's perseverance. It's the idea of of being determined to finish in the long run. It, it, It includes with it the idea of pacing yourself so that you don't run out of gas too soon. It's the idea of perseverance. Realize this, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to finish the race, if you want to be the Christian that you yourself want to be and that God wants you to be, put it in your mind right now. It's going to take work. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take a determined effort on your and my part. The Christian life is not autopilot. It comes by grace, yes. But when the Lord comes into our lives, he He saves us by grace and he keeps us by grace. But that doesn't mean that there isn't discipline on our part. There is discipline. So set your mind to this idea the Christian life at times will be very hard, harder than you ever imagined, and harder than you think you can stand. Expect it. It'll take perseverance. And then the fourth tip, he says, is to focus on the prospective example of Jesus Christ. Now, the word prospective means looking to the future or looking to what is expected, anticipated in the future. Here's what he says about Jesus. He says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes, verse 2, on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus... Why did he submit himself to the torture of a mock trial and disowning and abandonment of his most of his disciples and of the people who a week earlier had had, uh, celebrated his coming into Jerusalem? Why did he put up with all that, plus the cross... And all the humiliation, why did he do that? Because he was unwilling to only look at his current set of circumstances. He looked beyond the cross to the glory of the resurrection, to the glory of the ascension back to the Father, to the glory of being seated at the right hand of the Father. But beyond that, he looked beyond the cross to see what the cross would mean for you and me. It meant... That he laid down his life so that we could live. Focus on the prospective, focus on the future. You say, Well, right now, uh, Pastor, I'm going through the most hellacious crisis I've ever been through in my life. And you may not see any end in sight, there may not be any even speck of a dust. Particle of a light at the end of the tunnel. But I will tell you that if if you and I had been in Jesus' shoes on that cross or even right before we went to the cross, we would have not been able to see. In fact, his followers could not see beyond the humiliation that they were seeing their leader face. They thought everything was lost. Everything was lost. But it was not lost. You see, when you and I face an absolutely, seemingly impossible situation, we are in the best position for the Lord Jesus to do his greatest work. For it is when we are weak that he's strong. It's when we realize our inability that his capability becomes so vivid and obvious. It is when we realize that we must have something outside ourselves, that the Lord who is outside of us all becomes so prominent and faithful, dependable. Steve Green said, we're pilgrims on the journey of the narrow road. And those who've gone before us line the way, Hebrews 11. Cheering on the faithful, encouraging the weary, their lives a stirring testament to God's sustaining grace. Oh, may all who come behind us find us faithful. May the fire of our devotion light their way. And may the footprints that we leave lead them to believe, and the lives we live inspire them to obey. But our prayer, along with the writer of Hebrews this morning, is not just that those who come behind us find us faithful, but our prayer is that those who came before us and who line the raceway find us faithful. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, may all who come behind us truly find us faithful. But Lord, also may all those who have come before us find us faithful. Lord, thank you for that wonderful picture. Thank you for the picture of so many heroes of faith, both in the Bible and since the Bible and in the history of our church and even in our own personal histories. People who touched us, people who who showed us what it's like to live for Christ, what it's like to die for Christ, what it's like to suffer for Christ, what it's like to keep the faith in a real way. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful. Lord, for some of us today, that means a realignment of the priorities of our lives. For some of us, that's going, to make a, that's going to mean a conscious decision for rededication and realignment. For some, that's going to mean coming to this altar and making that initial decision to invite Christ to be their Savior. For some, it's going to be the decision to come and be baptized. For some, it's going to be to join the church. For some, it's going to be to, to come and lay whatever it is that is a weight that's unnecessary, lay it at the altar and leave it there. Lord, it's invitation time. It's life-changing time. I pray that life change would come to somebody here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.